Well, today is Vision Sunday, and we do this once a year, and this is sort of the huddle before the play. So if you're a football fan, when the team huddles together and they talk about what they're going to do on the play, this is what it is on Vision Sunday. We huddle together, we figure out, okay, where are we going next, and and what is it going to look like? Or if you're not a football fan, and maybe growing up in your house, the kitchen was the place where all the important uh, conversations happened, right? There'd be people in the dining room or the living room. But when when people really got down to business of talking about what matters in the house and the family, it always happened in the kitchen, right? So pretend this this is our kitchen right now, okay? So if you're a visitor today, we're so glad that you're here and you've been invited into the kitchen a little bit as we talk about where this church is going and, and what we, we see God doing in our midst and, and maybe a little bit of what he's already done. So each year we come up with a theme, uh, and, and this is a good process. I think it's a good discipline for us. It forces us to identify what the deep needs are in our congregation. So we have to spend time talking about, okay, what has happened and where are we going next? And, and this is a conversation we need. provides focus for us as we move forward into the next year. Uh, What's that old adage? If you aim at nothing, you will hit it, right? Uh, And so we want to try and avoid that. We want to aim at something, and hopefully prayerfully, it's something that God wants us to do. And and each year, we sort of add another piece to what this community is about. And, And it's not about adding programs and more activities. That's not what we're focusing on. It's about uh, shaping this community to reflect more and more what God would want as he describes the church in the Bible. So that's what we've been working towards. And um, just looking at the, the different, different things that we focused on over the previous years, those of you who've been around with us, you'll remember some of these year themes. Back in, uh, in uh, 2007, it was creating a culture that looks outward. In 2008, it was building vital community. In 2009, it was dwelling in the Lord, dwelling in the city. Um, 2010 was grace unleashed. Um, 2011, a lot of people have come back to this one, was countersigns. We talked about being a countersign in the world. And then 2012 was Gospel Incarnation. And then in 13, we had our uh, Cedars Project uh, begin, which is deepening our roots, extending our branches. And then this last year, it was all about being commissioned uh, together to go out on mission, co-missioned, but then also commissioned, sent by God. And we talked a lot about Blue Ribbon, and if you know what that is, we'll, we'll describe that in due time. Uh, and, and so these are some of the themes. And, and each year, it's like God has has done something to this community to shape it a little bit more and, and hopefully make it a little more biblical. I remember when we lived in Pennsylvania. We lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania for four years, which was quite an experience. Uh, and when we were there, right next to Hershey Park, if you know about the East Coast, Hershey Park is sort of one of the big amusement parks that's there. And uh, every year, uh, they would, they, I would just see them start to, to build another project. And it was, it was like, here's this wonderful park. It's, it's great. People are coming and they're loving. But they had this plan that one year they would add a new roller coaster. And so you would always be wondering, okay, what's going to happen next? Which roller coaster are they going to be adding at Hershey Park? And we drive by, we start to see it to take shape. And then, you know, oh, it's a Batman roller coaster, you know, because you see the symbol. And, and, and then you just watch it. And then a little bit later, you get to go ride in it. And, and the park would just sort of expand and, and grow that way. And, and I love the way it was just sort of this intentional year after year kind of thing. So the main thing we're going to do this year is we're going to add a roller coaster to the church, right? Just right out here in the front. We're going to, no, but what, that, we're, well, it might be that exciting. Uh, I hope and pray it'll be even more so. It'll be a spiritual roller coaster, I'm sure. Um, over the next season. But we want to keep adding and seeing, seeing God uh, uh, make us more like the church he wants us to be, that he intended for us to be, and then adding people to that so they can experience the love of Christ and, and be blessed. So 
Uh, the process starts in May as we come to the end of our year. We start doing some reading about things that might be important. And then in June, the leadership team uh, and some of the church council go away on retreat, and we have them read a book usually or something before we go, and uh, we talk about it and wrestle it to the ground. We've got a couple of days to just really grapple with issues and where the church is and where we're headed next. And then in July, we let it sit and percolate and think about it and don't do much with it. But then we come back in August normally. And in the past, we've been pull, pulling together uh, everybody who's serving in the congregation. We used to call it Focus 410. You may have wondered this year, where did Focus 410 go? We didn't do Focus 410. Instead, what we did this year was pull together all of the, the shepherds, the home group leaders, and had that same kind of conversation about we're going, where we're going in this next year. And then that all culminates in today when we sort of unveil what the theme is for the new year, uh, prayerfully and enlisting you and having a congregational meeting and all of that. So that's why this is a special day. It's, it's sort of the, the, the beginning of our next year. Now, to get into what our theme is for this coming year, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll give one to you. This is a Bible you can take home with you. Really want you to have access to the Bible day in and day out. So please feel free to take this one home with you. And in that particular Bible, it's on page 698 that we're going to be looking at. 698. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Now, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of heaven, one of his very favorite topics. And the kingdom is really shorthand for all that Jesus is about in the world. Jesus is about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and, 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 the, and the word kingdom really refers to his reign in the world. Uh, and that's, where we, that's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, because wherever the will of God is being done, that's where God is reigning. Wherever the will of God is being done, God is, is, is reigning there. And so uh, the kingdom of heaven is shorthand. Calvin actually talked about the kingdom of heaven as the gospel itself. This is the gospel. This is the central message. To embrace Jesus, if you were to read through the book of Matthew, we'd see that to embrace Jesus, and by the way, what it means to embrace Jesus is to come to him in faith, to, to accept him, to receive him, to acknowledge him as your Lord, the one after whom you intend to pattern your entire life, your leader, that's your Lord, and your Savior, the one who in his sacrificial atoning death on the cross paid the penalty for your sin so that you could be reconciled to God and forgiven for the sins that you have committed and that have separated you from God. So to come to Jesus is to come to him in faith as Lord and Savior. And some of you who, who are maybe sitting in on the kitchen conversation today, maybe you're exploring that question. And so I want to be clear about that's what it means to come to Jesus Christ. Uh, and you could do that today, by the way. Uh, just pray. God can hear your thoughts and you can say to him, I want you to be my Lord and, and my Savior. But we look through the, the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus talks about that process as entering into the kingdom of heaven, entering into the kingdom of heaven. So we enter into that place where God reigns, that, 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 that reign of God, and that affects us now, uh, and the kingdom of heaven is now, it's entering into this world wherever God is reigning, wherever his will is being done, and then it, it, it points forward to a perfect future where God will reign and his will will be done perfectly and we will live in the new heaven and the new earth, and it will be glorious because everything will be as it was intended to be by God. So it's a both and. The kingdom of heaven is both and. Now, entering into the kingdom of heaven affects everything about us. It affects who we are. It affects what we do. 
Uh, it affects where we go with our lives. Uh, it affects the when, the seasons of life. Uh, all of it is shaped by the kingdom of heaven, and it even especially affects the why, the meaning and the purpose behind our existence. All of that is shaped by the, the teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And so this is one of Jesus' favorite topics. He talked about it more than anything else, really, was the kingdom of heaven or in the other gospels, the kingdom of God. Those two terms mean the same thing, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And so that's what we encounter right near in, in In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And here's what he says. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And you say, well, that's odd. Well, back in the day of Jesus, obviously, they didn't have a safety deposit box or anything like that that we have, right? So hiding your treasure in a field sometimes was the best thing that you could do. In fact, if you hid it well, it was probably a, a pretty smart thing. So here's a man going along, and, and he finds treasure in a field, though. Somebody uh, maybe left it there for too long, and it surfaced, and, it's a, it's, it, and he could see it. Uh, and then it says, uh, then he, in his joy after finding this great discovery, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, as you expect, uh, scholars have done lots of research on sort of the rules and regulations around what it would be for a person in that day to discover treasure in a field. And probably they would say it was his rightfully. But just to be sure that nobody else would get this treasure, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. So now it's secure that he, it is his treasure. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, so this is an expert, he's out looking for pearls, he sees one of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this parable of pearl, I could really talk your ear off on this one because I did my master's thesis on these two verses. And so I wrote 120 pages on these two verses. Uh, I don't know what possessed me to do that. Um, and if you are having insomnia or anything, just let me know, and I'll send you a copy of it, um, and it'll probably put you right to sleep. Um, actually, though, I did. It was a wonderful experience of exploring how from origin to the modern day, these two verses have been interpreted. So I went through the whole history of interpretation right from the very beginning and, and just was incredibly instructive about how we read our Bibles, and, and so it was really great in that light. So I could go on and on and on about these two verses and bore you to tears, but I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I'm going to just sort of hone in. It's really quite simple, isn't it? These two parables are quite simple. They're about somebody who has an epiphany, a sudden realization about the value of what they're in front of. And that realization results in a dramatic response. It results in in, in selling everything so that they can have the one thing. And what's interesting is the first parable is more of an emotional one, right? When he sees it, he's filled with joy. And that's what motivates the response. In the second one, it's a little bit more of a calculated one. This is an expert who, when he encounters the pearl, he knows what a good pearl is. And when he sees it, he, he, he immediately ascertains its value. And so he runs off and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that pearl. The one is more emotional, and the one is more mental, mental or cerebral, although I'm sure that there's an admixture of both in both uh, experiences, as Jesus is telling them. In both cases, though, these seekers, either of treasure or pearl, they're all in at, 
the end of the day, right? They're all in. They, 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 they take everything that they have, spontaneously sell everything that they have so they can get the one thing. They can't wait to sell everything that they have so they can get the one thing. They can't wait to turn that money around that they have after selling everything that's theirs and buy either the field or the treasure. Have you ever felt that way about anything? Have you ever had something that suddenly come into your life that was so radically different and, 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 and exciting and wonderful that you were ready just to change everything in your life? Just sell it all, turn it around? The closest thing I can think of to, for me is when I met my future now wife, Jody. We were engaged. Now, don't follow this, uh, don't follow this path, okay, because this isn't necessarily... We got engaged after four and a half weeks uh, of dating. And you're all looking like it's crazy. And I don't recommend that. It worked out beautifully in this circumstance. And here's, but here's why. Here's what was going on in that, in that moment. We were both aimed in different directions. We were going to be going to different parts of the country and taking different paths. And I was pretty certain that the long-distance thing wasn't going to work for us. And so it, I remember very vividly, it became this moment of, what are you going to do? Are you going to change your life for this? Or are you going to hang on to the life that you envisioned and lose this precious treasure? And so for, for Jody, it meant she was on her way to Northwestern, and she had a scholarship to go and study there. And it meant putting that uh, on hold for one year because I'd already committed to a job. And so she was going to take the risk of potentially losing that scholarship. And for me, on my side, I, I had a particular seminary that I was wanting to go to. I was aimed in that direction. And I let that all go and said, okay, I'll go to Chicago, and hopefully I'll find a place to study there that will be good. And as it turns out, God brought me to the absolute best place for me that I could have been uh, at Trinity. But I didn't know that at the time, right? God worked through it. It it took that that scary moment of saying, okay, I'm going to make a commitment so that that we both know we're committing to something here, and we're going to risk the future and and, and change uh, what we want to do. And the kingdom of heaven is embraced in this way. In the beginning of his confessions, Augustine says, he admits to the weak state of his faith, I had now found the goodly pearl. This is in the first chapter. He's just setting out to tell us the story of his coming to faith. He says, I'd now found the goodly pearl, which selling all that I had, I ought to have bought. And I hesitated. And I think that's kind of the issue for us this morning is, is, is we often see the goodly pearl, as Augustine says. And maybe we're ready to sell everything, but we, there's a hesitation. There's a sense in which we haven't bought the whole thing. We haven't let it all go. We haven't been all in yet with the kingdom of heaven, with the gospel. We have not been all in. So we can all relate. And so the theme for this year as we've been working on this together and talking about it and, 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 and praying deeply and reading the scriptures, the theme for this year is going to be all in. All in. Coming out of this parable and then some other things that we're going to talk about. We're looking for those moments of clarity when you realize suddenly that this offer of God is more valuable than anything that you could consider in this life, and that that realization shapes 
who you are and how you live and how you move through this world. I'd like to introduce a phrase, and, and, and I hope that this becomes common in our interactions with each other, and it may or may not. We've done this many times, and it's usually the phrases that I, that I don't expect that become common language. But this idea of the spiritual garage sale. So these guys, when they encountered the, the pearl or the treasure, they went and they sold everything, and right? So they're talking about physical things there. When we come to Jesus, spiritually speaking, there has to be some letting go of the attachments that have kept us from embracing Jesus Christ. And there's all kinds of things that fall into that category. It could be, it could be things that we've been grappling with for years, maybe bitterness towards uh, others or, or somebody or, or pride or a real deep sense of self-sufficiency or anxiety over uh, our lives and we're trying to control our life and, and, and because we don't trust God to, to, to take us where we need to go, and so we're, man, we're, we're exercising control. Um, it, it, could be, it could be all kinds. It could be a materialism that, that's just at the center of our soul and kind of creating this rot in there. And, and so there are these moments when we come to Jesus where we've got to let go of the, be willing to let go of those so that we can fully embrace the life that God has for us. It's, it's kind of like dashing idols, letting, letting go of idols. He's putting down that baggage that, that, that we carry around with us so we can more fully focus on what actually matters. Part of the issue with us in this is that we're so focused often on the temporal things, on what's going on, what, what seems to matter for today. And we lose sight of what's eternal, what's lasting. And if we had a clearer sense, C.S. Lewis talked about this in a wonderful way. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And then this one, you've heard me say this. This is going to probably be heard again and again over the next season. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get ne neither. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And so there's something about getting our minds focused on what's eternal. Some of the eternal things, many of them, are part of our lives today. So we can focus on those today. But getting our minds around what's eternal, ordering our lives around what's eternal, is, is what we're talking about. That's what it means to be all in. Recently, I, um, I got the bug to clean out. Uh, un we have two sets of stairs in our house. And we've been in our house for nine years. And uh, kids are growing different sizes all the time, and so we're always shedding things that we didn't use, you know, and, and getting new things that we now need to use, and this process goes back and forth. And some of it's handed down, and some of it's not, and it's, it's pretty chaotic. And so we have these two staircases, and underneath is, there used to be a void there. And over nine years, those two voids were filled completely. And so something got into me. I thought, I'm going to wade in uh, under the stairs, and, and, you know, I got suited up, and I went in there, and... Uh, I started pulling stuff out, and I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the junk and the useless, you know, one shoe with no other shoe anywhere to be found, just all kinds of stuff under these stairs, and just pulled it all out and piled it all into the garage and started to fill the garage, and, and the family's wondering what I'm doing, uh, and before they could think too much, I backed up the van and filled it all into the van. Right? And, and we, have a, we have a minivan, and this thing was to the ceiling throughout the whole thing with junk. 
And I jumped in the car and drove off to the dump and unloaded it all, and boom, it's done. And in the middle of that somewhere, my wife walks by the van, and she starts to look in, and she goes, I'm not going to look. And she just <laughs> walks away, right? Because there's attachment to things, and, and it's hard to lose things. And it's spiritually the case, too. We've got attachments to things. That, that bitterness that we've been nurturing over years and years and years, we actually, part of us actually likes that. It's like an old friend that we want, and yet it's keeping us from more fully embracing what God has for us. So you can go down the line with any kind of idolatry or sin that, that, is, that is plaguing us, and, and, and there's that tension between letting it go. It's something that you love and you want and you've become accustomed to, and so letting it go is hard, and yet when I got back from the, the, the dump and pulled back into the driveway, uh, and, 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 and there was my van empty, and I walked under the stairs, and it was empty. What do you think I felt? I felt this incredible sense of freedom, right? All that is gone. It's just done. Freedom and a sense of joy that comes in from being released from all this baggage. And that's what God does when he enters into our lives. He releases us from all this baggage and gives us joy. And the great thing about being a church together is that we can help each other on that journey. We can help each other on that journey to, to, to more fully embrace the kingdom of heaven, to, to be all in together. We can help each other on that journey. Here's how we're going to do it. Now, in past years, I've, I've gotten too detailed when I've talked about our plans and initiative for this next year. So I'm going to just do a few broad strokes and try to get to the kind of the, the core of what's really hopefully going to happen. And then I want to provide, anybody who wants to see the detailed plan, you just let me know, and I'll provide enough detail that it'll put you to sleep. So what we're going to do as we embrace this new theme of all in, first of all, we're going to start next week studying the book of Ecclesiastes, which I'm very excited about. Um, if you've got friends who are philosophical in nature, um, friends who are frustrated with the emptiness of this world and think that God has nothing to say about that, you know, if you've got friends who are all about the next experience, um, the next high, then this is the book potentially for them. So, so I want you to consider and pray about bringing them to be a part of this journey with us. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us to discern what really matters in this life and what has eternal value and what doesn't so that we can set our sights on those things that are eternal and focus our lives around them. Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators of the Old Testament, he writes uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, once we can stop pretending that what is mortal, that has to do with this life and only, is enough for us, once we can stop pretending that what is mortal is enough for us, who have been given a capacity for the eternal, then we're ready to embrace what God has for us. And so... Ecclesiastes does this wonderful sort of deconstruction of our conception of the world around us and some of the attachments that we have to lift us from those attachments and make us prepared for the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes where he kind of zings in there and says, okay, and now this, what's, this is what's meaningful. This is what's lasting. This is what's eternal. And so we're going to enter that journey together, and I'm very excited about how that will shape us. We're going to be all in with mission, hoping and praying 
that we will have more and more participation in this whole blue ribbon lifestyle idea. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it right now. You've got some mystery, okay? That's good. You can go to your home group and ask, hey, everybody, what's this blue ribbon lifestyle, okay? Do that. We're hoping and praying that more people will embrace the blue ribbon lifestyle. We're, we're seeing that and want to see more of that. Um, and, and, and we're, and, and we're going to practice corporate multiplication. So, again, being all in on mission. Not only do we want to be multiplying our lives into individuals, as a community, we want to be multiplying our community into new communities. And so we're sending out Pastor Brent and Sarah to San Francisco for the SF mission in this coming year. Um, Brent is still going to be a part of us. I was a little sad when he said that. Um, he said he's, he's still going to be worshiping with us to some degree and being a part of us during the weekly ministry. Uh, and so, so we're going to still be connected, but, but he's going to be focusing on planting a church in San Francisco. And so we're going to multiply. We're going to be on mission together corporately. We're adding more missionaries to our support in this coming year. And then we're also the Gospel Coalition, excuse me, the, uh, the Gospel Academy uh, lecture series, which we've done once. We had our first lecture series. That has morphed now into a much larger kind of a thing involving the Gospel Coalition. Uh, and so this was our little Gospel Academy lecture series has now morphed into this larger thing, including the Gospel Coalition and the district of the, the Free Church, which we're a part of, and some of the other churches around in this area. So uh, in November, on the 15th Saturday, it's not just going to be an evening lecture like we had last time. This is going to be an all-day revival and reformation conference. And uh, there's a number of great speakers uh, who are going to be there. And so we're going we're to gather together and learn about what it means to prepare ourselves for God potentially moving in our midst in a way that we didn't expect. And, and, and how can we be praying and asking God to do that? So we're going to be all in with mission. And these are on the back table if you want to grab one and sign up for that. We're going to be all in with disciple making. We want to pour more and more into our home group leaders. Part of the reason we changed from Focus 410 to being a home group shepherding uh, this summer is because we wanted to pour more into our home group leaders and support them better and help them to shepherd the people that are in their groups more effectively. Uh, and so we're adding home groups. We realize that we, we need probably three more home groups, and so we're going to be adding those in the next little while trying to do that sensitively so it's sometimes taking a little longer, trying to really listen to the Lord and, and help give us direction in that. And then we're going to help each other to figure out how to be all in on Monday through Friday. So it's easy to sit here together and we're all in because we're singing. Now it's sometimes more tricky to do that Monday through Friday when we're at work and we're doing the things that we do. And so our whole faith and work initiative that's already launched that is going to be playing itself out in the coming season so that uh, we help each other to be all in Monday through Friday. And we're going to move our children's ministries and our youth ministries more and more towards becoming disciple-making uh, communities and, and less and less from being programs and events and things. So we've already started on that journey, but this just reflects where we're going with our home groups and everything else. And then we're going to be all in with leadership development in this community um, we're going to clarify what it means to be an elder and to clarify those roles. We have identified the need for that uh, from a biblical standpoint and from a congregational standpoint. We need to clarify uh, what that looks like. So over this next year, we're going to do that. And that's going to strengthen the leadership of this church, I believe, in some powerful ways. And we're going to develop more effective ways to train and, uh, 
and apprentice people who are already serving. Um, so this is a conversation I'm really looking forward to. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there because I always say too many, too many details and everybody gets glossy-eyed and can't follow with me. But the shorthand of it is this, is that we're going to help each other to live for what's eternal. That's the thing, to orchestrate our lives around what really matters and what's lasting. And to stop putting all of our energy or a lot of our energy and attention into things that, that are disconnected from the kingdom of heaven or, or, or somehow aren't part of what God is wanting to do or running in the wrong direction. Um, so that's, that's, that's the goal. And so you might be asking, what is your part in this? What can I do? What, what, what is the expectation from the leadership of me? What is the expectation from, from God of me in this? And the answer is, is really quite simple. It's just to, to continue to be the church together, but to be the church more and better together. We talk about our core four, which is the things that are at the center of what we do. And, and so here's what I want to encourage you to think about as you answer the question, what is my part in this? The first one is to worship and pray. Worship and pray. These seekers who found the treasure and found the pearl, they're motivated out of an encounter with, with God, in a sense, if we take the figurative language out. They're motivated from an encounter of God with God. It's not in their own strength that they go and sell. Like, they don't, oh, I've got to go sell everything. They're just so incredibly inspired by what they've seen that it's automatic. And sometimes when we talk about these things, there's a temptation to try and go out and accomplish big vision in our own strength. And that's not what we want to do. It needs to come out of a place of worship and prayer. Genuine encounters with God that shape the way we see Him and the way we see ourselves and spontaneously inspire us to be all in with Him. And so I want to encourage you to worship and to pray, to continue to, 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 to dig like the treasure seeker and to search like the pearl finder to dig and to search for God. And, and, and a key way that you do that is when you're together with us on Sunday morning. And, and, and I, I want to encourage you to be regular in worship over this next year, to gather with us, to be on time, to, be, to come ready to go, ready to sing praises. We have so little time to worship God in the week together. And so let's make the absolute most of the time that we have. And let's put this high priority on our calendar and our schedule to be together worshiping on a Sunday morning and to be praying together. So the first one is to worship and pray. The second one is to get on mission. Here's that blue ribbon thing. I want to encourage you to develop a list of people that you're interacting with, you're praying for, you're asking about their lives, you're blessing them, you're shepherding them, I mean sharing with them and you're telling them the gospel. We had a family over, a newer family to us uh, on Friday night. And we were able to just spend an evening eating dinner and asking them questions and blessing them, hopefully, by, with, with some good food. Uh, I didn't cook, so it was good food. Uh, and, 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 and just to, 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 to be in their lives. And I want to encourage us more and more to be living out that lifestyle. To make it a regular part of our home groups when we gather together to take time to, to say, hey, who's on your list of people that you're praying for who are far from God? And, and who need the gospel. And then to pray for one another, to pray for those people. It needs to be a regular part of, of when we gather together as home group. I want to encourage you to serve and to give. You know, we're not an audience here. This is a congregation. 
And that means that we all have something to contribute to what God is doing here. Um, if you're part of this community of faith, God has a reason for you being here. And not just to receive, but also because you've been gifted in a particular way. And in your home group or in this setting, somewhere in this community, you have something to bring to the table, something to shape who we are, to make it different and more like God wants it to be. So don't hide that under a bushel. Bring it forward. I want to encourage you to, to fill out your welcome card today. And just if you're not serving anywhere in this community, write down, I need to get serving. Help me to get serving so that we can help you connect and, 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 and be a part of what goes on. And then part of that is also giving. Um, it's not just of our time, but also of the resources that God has given us. Let me, let me say it this way. Do you know that God has already provided all the resources that are needed to accomplish the vision and the mission of this church in the coming year? He's already provided them. And he's put them in our hands. And the question is, why does he do that? Why does God put them in our hands? Because he wants us to participate. He wants us to have the joy of participating. So from now until you die, whenever you think, oh, there's that church there and people are coming to faith and, and lives are being changed and, and families are being uh, discipled and all that, whenever you see that, you get to say, I was a part of helping that happen. You get to participate in that for the rest of your life. You get to know that you were a part of something that is eternal and lasting. And so because of that, God puts the resources in our hands and then he calls us to be generous givers so that we can accomplish the mission that he has laid on our hearts. I know for some of you, this is a hard thing. And I remember back when, when we were newly married and our finances were an absolute mess and, and we had all these school debts and it seemed overwhelming and we, we weren't thinking about what we were spending our money on and it was chaotic. And somebody came alongside us. And where do you find this in our world? Not, very, not in very many places. Somebody came alongside of us and helped teach us how to handle these resources that God had given to us and how to bring them under Jesus' leadership and the kingdom of heaven. And 15 years later, it's amazing to me what God has done with, that, with what we were taught in that and the biblical principles. And so if that's where you are, you know, come to the stewardship class. We went through it recently, and it is a great class. I went through the whole thing with Dave, and, and Kate's going to be helping with it. And it's a great class, so come and sign up for that. And then the last one is continue to grow. Now, I don't have to continue to grow because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will grow. You just will. God is at work in you to accomplish his good things. In my house, people grow, and they're growing very fast. And when they grow, though, they eat more, which is another reason why it's good to go to the stewardship class because you're going to need the money when your kids grow and they start eating twice as much as a normal adult eats. But when kids grow, they, they eat. And it's hard to tell which one comes first, right? Does the eating result in the growing? Or does the growing, you know, call upon the need for more eating? And I imagine it's kind of a, a, a cycle of both of them uh, working in tandem together. But the point for our illustration here is that as you grow, you need to eat more. You need to feed more on the Word of God. And you need to be in community more and praying more. And so don't starve the growth that God wants to do over this next season by removing yourself from community or removing yourself from the Word of God or from worship. 
in your individual life, your morning devotions or your evening or your afternoon, whatever you like to do, in your home group, Sunday worship, all of these are ways that we feed the growth that God is already bringing about in us. Lastly, Jesus never asked us to do what he was not willing to do himself. He sold it all. Can I remind us of that this morning? Jesus was all in. He had everything, and he gave it all up to enter into this world and to live and to die and to rise again. He gained it all back. And, and that's the story of Jesus, is to, to give it all away. Your life, your dreams, your motivations, your resources, your gifts, to give it all away to God and experience the resurrection that comes through that on the other side. That's the model of Jesus. And we, we sometimes have to focus on the cross. The cross was hard for Jesus. He wrestled in prayer, and it was hard to let go, but he let go. And then we have to focus on the resurrection that God proved himself faithful to Jesus, and he will prove himself faithful to us as well. When we take up our cross to follow him with hope and expectation in the resurrection that's to come. And what I love about this table that we celebrate is that it, it, it includes both of those elements. It includes the cross on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. And this bread and the breaking of it reminds us of the breaking of Jesus for our salvation and the cross and the letting go, the all-in that he needed to do. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The same way Jesus took and shed his blood for us at great loss and brokenness. But this table also represents the resurrection in a sense. Because it speaks of a day when we will be gathered at table again with Jesus. And there we will celebrate and rejoice in what God has accomplished through the work of Christ the all-in work of Christ. And so when you come to this table today, if you are a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. If you're, if you're questioning where you are with Jesus, I want to encourage you to just pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. Keep coming and being a part of this community. I want to help you on that journey. I want to walk with you. Come to this table, and I want you to think about two things. What, God, what are you going to ask me to let go of in this coming year? And then God how are you going to show me your trustworthiness as I do so? That's what this table represents. If you need prayer, then go to the back area. We'd love to pray with you. Um, if you want to go find somebody in your home group and pray with them, that's, that's great too. Um, make this a time of response to the Lord. So God, we lay the vision that you seem to have given to us at your feet, and we ask that you would make it a reality. Not in our own strength, but through dependency upon you and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.